0: If a man be lucky, there is no foretelling the possible extent of his good fortune. Pitch him into the Euphrates, and like as not, he will swim out with a pearl in his hand. Babylonian Proverb If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. It was just as strong in the breasts of men 4,000 years ago in ancient Babylon as it is in the hearts of men today. We all hope to be favored by the whimsical goddess of good luck. Is there some way we can meet her and attract not only her favorable attention, but her generous favors? Is there a way to attract good luck? That is just what the men of ancient Babylon wished to know. It is exactly what they decided to find out. They were shrewd men and keen thinkers. That explains why their city became the richest and most powerful city of their time. In that distant past, they had no schools or colleges. Nevertheless, they had a center of learning, and a very practical one it was. Among the towered buildings in Babylon was one that ranked in importance with the palace of the king, the hanging gardens, and the temples of the gods. You will find scant mention of it in the history books, more likely no mention at all, yet it exerted a powerful influence upon the thought of that time. This building was the Temple of Learning, where the wisdom of the past was expounded by voluntary teachers, and where subjects of popular interest were discussed in open forums. Within its walls all men met as equals. The humblest of slaves could dispute with impunity the opinions of a prince of the royal house. Among the many who frequented the Temple of Learning was a wise, rich man named Arcad, called the richest man in Babylon. He had his own special hall, where almost any evening a large group of men, some old, some very young, but mostly middle-aged, gathered to discuss and argue interesting subjects. Suppose we listen in to see whether they knew how to attract good luck. The sun had just set like a great red ball of fire, shining through the haze of desert dust, when Arcad strolled to his accustomed platform. Already full fourscore men were awaiting his arrival, reclining on their small rugs spread upon the floor. More were still arriving. What shall we discuss this night? Arcad inquired. After a brief hesitation, a tall cloth-weaver addressed him, arising as was the custom. "'I have a subject I would like to hear discussed, yet hesitate to offer, lest it seem ridiculous to you, Arcad, and my good friends here.' Upon being urged to offer it, both by Arcad and by calls from the others, he continued, "'This day I have been lucky, for I have found a purse in which there are pieces of gold.' To continue to be lucky is my great desire. Feeling that all men share with me this desire, I do suggest we debate how to attract good luck, that we may discover ways it can be enticed to one. A most interesting subject has been offered, Arcad commented, one most worthy of our discussion. To some men, good luck bespeaks but a chance happening that, like an accident, may befall one without purpose or reason." Others do believe that the instigator of all good fortune is our most bounteous goddess, Ashtar, ever anxious to reward with generous gifts those who please her. Speak up, my friends, what say you? Shall we seek to find if there be means by which good luck may be enticed to visit each and all of us? Yea, yea, and much of it, responded the growing group of eager listeners. Thereupon Arkad continued, "'To start our discussion, let us first hear from those among us "'who have enjoyed experiences similar to that of the cloth-weaver "'in finding or receiving without effort upon their part "'valuable treasures or jewels.' "'There was a pause in which all looked about, "'expecting someone to reply, but no one did. "'What? No one?' Arkad said. "'Then rare indeed must be this kind of good luck.' Who now will offer a suggestion as to where we shall continue our search? That I will do, spoke a well-robed young man arising. When a man speaketh of luck, is it not natural that his thoughts turn to the gaming tables? Is it not there we find many men courting the favor of the goddess in hope she will bless them with rich winnings? As he resumed his seat, a voice called, Do not stop. Continue thy story. Tell us. Didst thou find favor with the goddess at the gaming tables? Did she turn the cubes with red side up so thou filled thy purse at the dealer's expense? Or did she permit the blue sides to come up so the dealer raked in thy hard-earned pieces of silver? The young man joined the good-natured laughter, then replied, I am not averse to admitting she seemed not to know I was even there. But how about the rest of you? Have you found her waiting about such places to roll the cubes in your favor? We are eager to hear as well as to learn. A wise start, broke in Arkad. We meet here to consider all sides of each question. To ignore the gaming table would be to overlook an instinct common to most men, the love of taking a chance with a small amount of silver in the hope of winning much gold. That doth remind me of the races, but yesterday... "'called out another listener. "'If the goddess frequents the gaming tables, "'certainly she does not overlook the races "'where the gilded chariots and the foaming horses "'offer far more excitement. "'Tell us honestly, Arcad, "'did she whisper to you to place your bed "'upon those gray horses from Nineveh yesterday?' I was standing just behind thee and could scarce believe my ears when I heard thee place thy bet upon the greys. Thou knowest as well as any of us that no team in all Assyria can beat our beloved bays in a fair race. Didst the goddess whisper in thy ear to bet upon the greys because at the last turn the inside black would stumble and so interfere with our bays that the greys would win the race and score an unearned victory? Arcad? smiled indulgently at the banter. What reason have we to feel the good goddess would take that much interest in any man's bet upon a horse race? To me, she is a goddess of love and dignity, whose pleasure it is to aid those who are in need and to reward those who are deserving. I look to find her, not at the gaming tables or the races where men lose more gold than they win, but in other places where the doings of men are more worthwhile and more worthy of reward." In tilling the soil, in honest trading, in all of a man's occupations, there is opportunity to make a profit upon his efforts and his transactions. Perhaps not all the time will he be rewarded because sometimes his judgment may be faulty and other times the winds and the weather may defeat his efforts. Yet, if he persists, he may usually expect to realize his profit. This is so because the chances of profit are always in his favor. But when a man playeth the games, the situation is reversed, for the chances of profit are always against him, and always in favor of the gamekeeper. The game is so arranged that it will always favor the keeper. It is his business at which he plans to make a liberal profit for himself from the coins bet by the players. Few players realize how certain are the gamekeeper's profits, and how uncertain are their own chances to win. For example, let us consider wagers placed upon the cube. Each time it is cast, we bet which side will be uppermost. If it be the red side, the game master pays to us four times our bet. But if any other of the five sides come uppermost, we lose our bet. Thus, the figures show that for each cast, we have five chances to lose. But because the red pays four for one, we have four chances to win. In a night's play, the game master can expect to keep, for his profit, one-fifth of all the coins wagered. Can a man expect to win more than occasionally against odds so arranged that he should lose one-fifth of all his bets? Yet some men do win large sums at times, volunteered one of the listeners. Quite so they do. Arkad continued. "'Realizing this, the question comes to me whether money secured in such ways brings permanent value to those who are thus lucky. Among my acquaintances are many of the successful men of Babylon, yet among them I am unable to name a single one who started his success from such a source.' You, who are gathered here tonight, know many more of our substantial citizens. To me, it would be of much interest to learn how many of our successful citizens can credit the gaming tables with their start to success. Suppose each of you tell of those you know. What say you? After a prolonged silence, a wag ventured, Would thy inquiry include the gamekeepers? If you think of no one else. Arcad responded, if not one of you can think of anyone else, then how about yourselves? Are there any consistent winners with us who hesitate to advise such a source for their incomes? His challenge was answered by a series of groans from the rear taken up and spread amid much laughter. It would seem we are not seeking good luck in such places as the goddess frequents he continued. Therefore, let us explore other fields. We have not found it in picking up lost wallets, neither have we found it haunting the gaming tables. As to the races, I must confess to have lost far more coins there than I have ever won. Now, suppose we consider our trades and businesses. Is it not natural if we conclude a profitable transaction to consider it not good luck, but a just reward for our efforts? I am inclined to think we may be overlooking the gifts of the goddess. Perhaps she really does assist us when we do not appreciate her generosity. Who can suggest further discussion? Thereupon an elderly merchant arose, smoothing his genteel white robe. With thy permission, most "'Honorable Arcad and my friends, I offer a suggestion. "'If, as you have said, we take credit to our own industry and ability for our business success, "'why not consider the successes we almost enjoyed but which escaped us, "'happenings which would have been most profitable? "'They would have been rare examples of good luck if they had actually happened.' Because they were not brought to fulfillment, we cannot consider them as our just rewards. Surely many men here have such experiences to relate. Here is a wise approach, Arcad approved. Who among you have had good luck within your grasp, only to see it escape? Many hands were raised, among them that of the merchant. Arcad motioned to him to speak. As you suggested this approach, we should like to hear first from you. I will gladly relate a tale, he resumed, that doth illustrate how closely unto a man good luck may approach, and how blindly he may permit it to escape, much to his loss and later regret. Many years ago, when I was a young man, Just married and well started to earning, my father did come one day and urge most strongly that I enter upon an investment. The son of one of his good friends had taken notice of a barren tract of land not far beyond the outer walls of our city. It lay high above the canal where no water could reach it. The son of my father's friend devised a plan to purchase this land, build three large water wheels that could be operated by oxen, and thereby raise the life-giving waters to the fertile soil. This accomplished, he planned to divide into small tracts and sell to the residents of the city for herb patches. The son of my father's friend did not possess sufficient gold to complete such an undertaking. Like myself, he was a young man earning a fair sum. His father, like mine, was a man of large family and small means. He, therefore, decided to interest a group of men to enter the enterprise with him. The group was to comprise twelve, each of whom must be a money earner, and agreed to pay one-tenth of his earnings into the enterprise until the land was made ready for sale. All would then share justly in the profits in proportion to their investment. Thou, my son, bespoke my father unto me, art now in thy young manhood. It is my deep desire that thou begin the building of a valuable estate for thyself, that thou mayest become respected among men. I desire to see thou profit from a knowledge of the thoughtless mistakes of thy father. This do I most ardently desire, my father, I replied. Then this do I advise. From thy earnings keep out one-tenth to put into favorable investments. With this one-tenth of thy earnings and what it will also earn, thou canst, before thou art my age, accumulate for thyself a valuable estate. Thy words are words of wisdom, my father, greatly do I desire riches, yet There are many uses to which my earnings are called, therefore do I hesitate to do as thou dost advise. I am young, there is plenty of time. So I thought at thy age, yet behold many years have passed and I have not yet made the beginning. We live in a different age, my father, I shall avoid thy mistakes." Opportunity stands before thee, my son. It is offering a chance that may lead to wealth. I beg of thee, do not delay. Go upon the morrow to the son of my friend, and bargain with him to pay ten percent of thy earnings into this investment. Go promptly upon the morrow. Opportunity waits for no man. Today it is here. Soon it is gone. Therefore, delay not. In spite of the advice of my father, I did hesitate. There were beautiful new robes just brought by the tradesmen from the East, robes of such richness and beauty. My good wife and I felt we must each possess one. Should I agree to pay one-tenth of my earnings into the enterprise, we must deprive ourselves of these and other pleasures we dearly desired. I delayed making a decision until it was too late, much to my subsequent regret. The enterprise did prove to be more profitable than any man had prophesied. This is my tale, showing how I did permit good luck to escape. In this tale, we see how good luck waits to come to that man who accepts opportunity commented a swarthy man of the desert to the building of an estate. There must always be the beginning that start, may be a few pieces of gold or silver, which a man diverts from his earnings to his first investment. I myself am the owner of many herds. The start of my herds. I did begin when I was a mere boy and did purchase with one piece of silver, a young calf. This being the beginning of my wealth was of great importance to me. To take his first start to building an estate is as good luck as can come to any man. With all men, that first step, which changes them from men who earn from their own labor to men who draw dividends from the earnings of their gold, is important. Some fortunately take it when young and thereby outstrip in financial success those who do take it later or those unfortunate men like the father of this merchant who never take it. "'Had our friend, the merchant, taken this step in his early manhood when this opportunity came to him, this day he would be blessed with much more of this world's goods. Should the good luck of our friend, the cloth weaver, cause him to take such a step at this time, it will indeed be but the beginning of much greater good fortune. "'Thank you. I like to speak also,' a stranger from another country arose. "'I am a Syrian.' Not so well do I speak your tongue. I wish to call this friend, the merchant, a name. Maybe you think it not polite, this name. Yet I wish to call him that. But, alas, I not know your word for it. If I do call it in Syrian, you will not understand. Therefore, please, some good gentleman, tell me that right name you call man who puts off doing those things that mighty good for him. "'Procrastinator!' called a voice. "'That's him!' shouted the Syrian, waving his hands excitedly. "'He accepts not opportunity when she comes. "'He waits. "'He says, I have much business right now. "'By and by I talk to you. "'Opportunity. "'She will not wait for such slow fellow. "'She thinks if a man desires to be lucky, "'he will step quick.' Any man who not step quick when opportunity comes, he big procrastinator, like our friend, this merchant. The merchant arose and bowed good-naturedly in response to the laughter. My admiration to thee, stranger within our gates, who hesitates not to speak the truth. And now let us hear another tale of opportunity. Who has for us another experience? demanded Arcad. I have, responded a red-robed man of middle age. I am a buyer of animals, mostly camels and horses. Sometimes I do also buy the sheep and goats. The tale I am about to relate will tell truthfully how opportunity came one night when I did least expect it. Perhaps for this reason I did let it escape. Of this, you shall be the judge. Returning to the city one evening after a disheartening ten days journey in search of camels, I was much angered to find the gates of the city closed and locked. While my slaves spread our tent for the night, which we looked to spend with little food and no water, I was approached by an elderly farmer who, like ourselves, found himself locked outside. Honoured sir, he addressed me, from thy appearance I do judge thee to be a buyer, "'If this be so, much would I like to sell to thee "'the most excellent flock of sheep just driven up. "'Alas, my good wife lies very sick with the fever. "'I must return with all haste. "'Buy thou my sheep, that I and my slaves "'may mount our camels and travel back without delay. "'So dark it was that I could not see his flock, "'but from the bleating I did know it must be large.' Having wasted ten days searching for camels I could not find, I was glad to bargain with him. In his anxiety, he did set a most reasonable price. I accepted, well knowing my slaves could drive the flock through the city gates in the morning and sell at a substantial profit. The bargain concluded I called my slaves to bring torches that we might count the flock which the farmer declared to contain nine hundred. I shall not burden you, my friends, with a description of our difficulty in attempting to count so many thirsty, restless, milling sheep. It proved to be an impossible task. Therefore, I bluntly informed the farmer I would count them at daylight and pay him then. Please, most honorable sir, he pleaded, pay me but two-thirds of the price tonight that I may be on my way. I will leave my most intelligent and educated slave to assist to make the count in the morning. He is trustworthy, and to him thou canst pay the balance." but I was stubborn and refused to make payment that night. Next morning, before I awoke, the city gates opened and four buyers rushed out in search of flocks. They were most eager and willing to pay high prices because the city was threatened with siege and food was not plentiful. Nearly three times the price at which he had offered the flock to me did the old farmer receive for it. Thus was rare good luck allowed to escape. Here is a tale most unusual, commented Arcad. What wisdom doth it suggest? The wisdom of making a payment immediately when we are convinced our bargain is wise, suggested a venerable saddle maker. If the bargain be good, then dost thou need protection against thy own weaknesses as much as against any other man? We mortals are changeable. Alas, I must say, more apt to change our minds when right than wrong. Wrong, we are stubborn indeed. Right, we are prone to vacillate and let opportunity escape. My first judgment is my best. Yet always have I found it difficult to compel myself to proceed with a good bargain when made. Therefore, as a protection against my own weaknesses, I do make a prompt deposit thereon. This doth save me from later regrets for the good luck that should have been mine. Thank you. Again, I like to speak. The Syrian was upon his feet once more. These tales much alike, each time opportunity fly away for same reason, each time she come to procrastinator, bringing good plan, each time they hesitate, not say right now best time I do it quick. How can men succeed that way? Wise are thy words, my friend, responded the buyer. Good luck fled from procrastination in both these tales. Yet this is not unusual. The spirit of procrastination is within all men. We desire riches, yet how often when opportunity doth appear before us, that spirit of procrastination from within doth urge various delays in our acceptance. In listening to it, we do become our own worst enemies. In my younger days, I did not know it by this long word our friend from Syria doth enjoy. I did think at first it was my own poor judgment that did cause me loss of many profitable trades. Later, I did credit it to my stubborn disposition. At last, I did recognize it for what it was, a habit of needless delaying where action was required, action prompt and decisive. How I did hate it when its true character stood revealed. With the bitterness of a wild ass hitched to a chariot, I did break loose from this enemy to my success. "'Thank you. I like ask question from Mr. Merchant,' the Syrian was speaking. "'You wear fine robes, not like those of poor men. You speak like successful men. Tell us, do you listen now when procrastination whispers in your ear?' "'Like our friend the buyer, I also had to recognize and conquer procrastination,' responded the merchant. "'To me it proved to be an enemy, ever watching and waiting to thwart my accomplishments. "'The tale I did relate is but one of many similar instances I could tell to show how it drove away my opportunities. "'Tis not difficult to conquer, once understood. "'No man willingly permits the thief to rob his bins of grain, nor does any man willingly permit an enemy to drive away his customers and rob him of his profits.' "'When once I did recognize that such acts as these my enemy was committing with determination, I conquered him. "'So must every man master his own spirit of procrastination before he can expect to share in the rich treasures of Babylon. "'What sayest, Arkad? "'Because thou art the richest man in Babylon, many do proclaim thee to be the luckiest.' Dost thou agree with me that no man can arrive at a full measure of success until he hath completely crushed the spirit of procrastination within him? It is even as thou sayest, Arkad admitted, during my long life I have watched generation following generation, marching forward along those avenues of trade, science, and learning that lead to success in life. Opportunities came to all these men. Some grasped theirs and moved steadily to the gratification of their deepest desires, but the majority hesitated, faltered, and fell behind. Arcad turned to the cloth weaver. Thou didst suggest that we debate good luck. Let us hear what thou now thinkest upon the subject. I do see good luck in a different light. I had thought of it as something most desirable that might happen to a man without effort upon his part now i do realize such happenings are not the sort of thing one may attract to himself from our discussion have i learned that to attract good luck to oneself it is necessary to take advantage of opportunities therefore in the future i shall endeavor to make the best of such opportunities as do come to me thou hast well grasped the truths brought forth in our discussion arcad replied Good luck, we do find, often follows opportunity, but seldom comes otherwise. Our merchant friend would have found great good luck had he accepted the opportunity the good goddess did present to him. Our friend the buyer, likewise, would have enjoyed good luck had he completed the purchase of the flock and sold at such a handsome profit. We did pursue this discussion to find a means by which good luck could be enticed to us. I feel that we have found the way. Both the tales did illustrate how good luck follows opportunity. Herein lies a truth that many similar tales of good luck, won or lost, could not change. The truth is this. Good luck can be enticed by accepting opportunity. Those eager to grasp opportunities for their betterment do attract the interest of the good goddess. She is ever anxious to aid those who please her. Men of action please her best. Action will lead thee forward to the successes thou dost desire. Men of action are favored by the goddess of good luck.